What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. So we're in Bradley, California. It's a tiny little town. Yeah. There's not even a gas station. Pretty small. But the, the, the sign says 120 people. There's 120 people that live here? No, that's what it says. That's what it yeah. Not sure if that's still an accurate number. It might be less. It might be less. I know in the town of Bradley, there's 22 homes. Uh-huh. So, and it used to be home of five gas stations. But now, uh, since the 101 has bypassed town, it's it's kind of turned into like uh, Radiator Springs. Really? You know, it's like yeah. the Cars movie. So, it's uh, it's got some old dilapidated gas stations and then the characters are living down. But. Well, it's so funny, too. I feel like when they've done that like yeah. they just did it up in Willits yeah you know in, the, in Northern California they finally got that highway built around it yeah they yeah. got it built around it but I'm wondering what is that going to do to the town of Willits <laughs> to all the business that is campers going up and down the coast oh well, I mean, yeah I'm sure it'll change it a you bit you know what like I mean it changed most of these towns yeah yeah or like you go out uh, out on the east on the east slope of the Sierras and there's a couple towns out there where nobody goes through the areas anymore because of more roads and more accessibility to exactly yeah, you see quicker the travel of, the town of Lone Pine there's yeah not much going on there at all <laughs> kept the courthouse and that's it yeah, yeah that's about that's about all they've got <laughs> it's crazy you know but yeah yeah because on my way in I text you and was like is there a gas station there? Yeah. You're like, no, it's 15 no. miles south. Always out, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but 25 minutes out of Paso, so it's not too far. The nice thing about our location is that um, for the properties that we lease, it's given us a good base mm-hmm. um, for those. So um, the furthest ranch we lease to the north is up in Hollister. Mm-hmm. And it's 150,000 acres. And so it's about an hour and 40 minutes drive from our office to that to those hunting and lodges not, in, in my opinion that's not a bad drive no it's not bad at all then yeah. uh, the further south we go um is down to san luis obispo and it's about an hour south yeah. our ranch is down there um we also have some leases in mexico but obviously that's a drive from anywhere so it doesn't really it's a whole different beast doesn't really hunt matter too. yeah yeah exactly so <laughs> flying in yeah what do yeah. you guys hunt down in mexico uh coos deer um and then on the ranch there are some mule deer not very many mm-hmm. and then uh, they also have um some high fenced uh, desert sheep, really, which which are pretty interesting uh, in the fact of what they are that they're the sheep that are on the ranch are real big. They have great genetics, but obviously when it comes to a high fence sheep, it, it's not for everybody. Yeah, um, sheep hunters in general want a sheep hunt, you know, or if, a fair chase hunt. Yeah, a fair if chase you call sheep it hunt. that. So it, I think what it kind of lends itself to is is people that are already um, estate hunters or you know say older gentlemen that can't get around or just want to get their desert sheep while they're waiting to draw a desert sheep hunt, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, because the cost is about a third of the cost of, of a free range ram in Mexico. So, um, and it's not something we did It's the owners of the ranch. Um, it's a program they had set up previous to us leasing the property, but with our lease, the, our main goal with the lease was the coos deer hunting. Um, because all the black tail deer hunting we do, um, we're, I think, real passionate about hunting, I say small deer, but you yeah. know, uh, getting caught up in shooting a 30-inch buck or shooting a big, I know there's a lot of hunters that go to Mexico that have no interest in shooting coos deer because 
they're specifically mule deer hunters. You know, yeah, they, they they're down there for that Sonoran. Yeah, just they, yeah, they, they, yeah they, they don't see the uh, the uh, the allure of uh, of sh- hunting and going for a smaller deer. And coos deer are a great hunt, just in the fact that the time of year it's nice and cool down there. It's January when there's not a lot going on up here, um, and then the style of hunting with the spot and stock. Uh, is fantastic and usually I'd say it, it's kind of it's attributed itself to a lot of long-range shooting but um, but that being said there still are plenty of like if people get worried about having to shoot 500 yards to kill a cougar there's still if, if you can hike and get around there's still plenty of opportunity from the 100 to 350 yard shots like oh wow like a normal deer hunt is what is a coos deer in Mexico what's that run uh, a typical coos deer hunt in Mexico is, is typically anywhere from like uh, what we charge for ours is five thousand. Mm-hmm. That's for a five day hunt with meals and lodging. Um, so you'll see them priced anywhere. Kind of like I'd say that's kind of the medium price on them. Sometimes you'll see them more. Sometimes you'll see them less. And then are you guys hunting trophy class coos deer? Yeah. They're big. Yeah. So we shot some great bucks last year. The biggest buck we shot last year was a uh, was a one twenty two mm-hmm. with double drop time. So it was a really a great buck. But um, you'll say ninety percent of the bucks were or the bucks we're trying to get are bucks that are over hundred inches, so hundred to one hundred twenty yeah. in that class. Some we shoot on the ranch have been bigger than that, but typically I'd say that's an average size. So that's good, a solid average. Yeah, good solid. You know, and that's kind of like the benchmark for coos deer. It seems like especially in Mexico is hundred inch or better bucks. Yeah, it's a little hard hunting um, in the states for coos deer to get them over hundred. Um, but not to say it can't be done. There's plenty of people that shoot some really big bucks in Southern Arizona, but it just seems more prevalent on those private ranches in Mexico for a little better quality on uh, as far as the genetics go. And then a little, you know, more private ground since most yeah. of it's private cattle ranches. And would you also say that like herd management maybe plays a role into that as well as oh, far think, as like managing the bucks? And yeah, the, I think a, a huge part, just like with all of our, any private land, I think in general compared to public land, um, gives that benefit. So like with our blacktail deer hunts locally, um, we run, I'd say on, on average, like say this year, we'll probably end up doing about 40 blacktail deer hunts mm-hmm. locally here, 40 to 42, depending on how our season ends here. But uh, since we're right now, we're in the, in the last no, three days, four days of season. <laughs> so um, we do have landowner tags here uh, locally that will let us hunt from July 15th to November 30th. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to hunt that into our rut. And our rut kind of hits, starts kind of right now. We're starting to see a little bit of like rut activity, pre-rut activity. But then really in two weeks from now, that beginning of October, uh, these local A-zone deer in this central coast region, you know, so anywhere from, uh, you know, Ventura up to um, the uh, North Bay seems like they kind of rut right now. You get further yeah. in north into California and that yeah. starts backing up. You know, right. Well, back. right now up in Point Reyes, the rut is just... Is it going pretty oh, good? Oh, it's going. Yeah. And yeah. we've talked to friends that have ranches up out of that, the guide on ranches out of Livermore and Castro Valley. And, uh, they said it's on real hard there too so here yeah. you know we're on an inland valley so it's a little warmer here it seems like when we get closer to the coast on some other ranches we have if we get those nice cool foggy activities more prevalent. it's a little better yeah, yeah but uh, it's tough it will get it going really good like we had last week and then we'll get like 305 degree days that kind of, yeah. that kind of make it hit the brakes and so that's always a little bummer but uh but that just goes with the year you know so yeah um so well, before we continue to dive yeah. into all of the, you know, I mean, prolific blacktail season that you guys have had this year and the tule elk that I just got to see, which was unlike any tule elk. <laughs> and for me to yeah. say that, that's, 
that's saying something that's yeah. you know i've never seen a tule elk that size in my life yeah you know on the hoof yeah in the field anywhere um why don't you introduce yourself tell us who you are what you do i mean obviously you're talking about guiding in mexico and guiding yeah. up here in a zone and you know so yeah why don't you introduce yourself I'm Chad Weeby. I'm the owner of Oakstone Outfitters out of Bradley, California. We are a uh, hunting business, I'd say predominantly, but we also run a taxidermy studio and wild game uh, meat processing as well. So we've tried to kind of build our business to take care of, I'd say, every at least um, adjacent facet of the hunting business so we can kind of accommodate our clients so um, originally we started our business as a taxidermy studio we were central coast taxidermy and i started that in 2005 mm -hmm. so i went to uh i started out going went to college for forestry and natural resources i thought i think like a lot of people do that are interested in the outdoors is i thought i wanted to maybe become either a park ranger or a game warden or be involved in the national forest somehow and so I did that and I kind of realized that, uh, that I liked it, but maybe there was something else out there. I, I always <laughs> wanted to be self-employed. Um, I worked for a few seasons on uh, Wildland Hotshot Cruise, which was great. I got to work with some really fun people and got to see some really neat places. But uh, again, I could just feel, you know, there's something I, I was always drawn to, um, to hunting and I've hunted uh, this area since I was a little kid, my family is, um, like your family is, Andy, um, my family's been here for five, six generations. So since oh, wow. the, the mid 1800s in this area, um, homestead in this area. So, uh, you guys have been in California for a minute for a long time Yeah, and, and in this area for a long time. And so that's really helped our business as we've grown and progressed, um, to be able to acquire properties. Um, it helps when you have those deep roots. It, it does because most in this area and a lot of these rural areas, um, if uh, there's not a lot of industry and there's not a lot to do mm -hmm. as far as business goes, if you, you can get into construction, make a little better money, but most people um, work on a cattle ranch or farm or um, and quite a few of us around here then hunt as a business. So, uh, you know, a lot of the ranches that I hunt, either my, uh, my brothers or my cousins or uncles manage those ranches and then we're able to, to get in and lease them because of that. Which so that also helps out for whoever it is to increase their income that they're having coming off their property. And correct. It's, it's amazing. The, the business that is, uh, I know a lot of people will say, you know, that, that they pay you to shoot pigs in Texas, but in California, you know, pig hunting is, and especially where we're located. So we're, um, four hours north of LA, three hours south of San Francisco. So we're um, centrally located an easy drive for people to come in from the weekend and hunt. And, uh, because we lease the ranches um, and we're paying the landowners, um, we're able to sustain the pig populations on the properties um, and manage them accordingly. So, you know, on the ranches that we hunt, so we lease over 230,000 acres, that's all private. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing with that is that uh, a lot of people say, well, the ranchers are gonna drive around and shoot the pigs because they're in the farm fields or they're disrupting cattle feed. But um, we offset that cost so much with our leases that, um, that the ranchers allow us to manage those wild pig herds um, to do a sustainable hunting yeah. business. So it makes it kind of nice and then, you know, well, gives pigs gives are so out of control everywhere. <laughs> they are. Except it, for, it, it's important to ex manage them. Except for at Lake Sonoma. Our yeah. pig population at Lake Sonoma has vanished. Like, <laughs> 
seriously is, is now you think that's because of overhunting no okay i don't think that many pigs get killed up there a year to put a dent in the yeah. population i mean i know for me specifically on the property that i hunt which is just a Shoot small private where you hunt. yeah yep. yeah which is a small property but literally our property boundary is lake sonoma army okay. corps of engineers um, you think that would be great well, I mean, according to the and, yeah. to the folklore of hunting Lake Sonoma and yeah. the abundance of pigs that there is, but I know that on our property alone, you know, it's I think we have three mountain lions, you know, <laughs> for the amazing. last yeah. like, couple of years. So if we have three, what other properties have more mountain lions, and what's that doing <laughs> yeah. to the to the animal population as far as the pigs are concerned? Because I know that the pigs have kind of just disappeared. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because and it's funny, down here, you know, in the area that we're in, um, I'd say northeast of Paso, and anything east of Paso Robles has a lot of pigs in it, but you get west of Paso Robles, and there's some pigs, but, and I don't know why, it's mm -hmm. just, uh, we're a more arid country, maybe it's because the agriculture that we have, there's more dryland barley fields up here, which the pigs really seem to center on, especially this time of year, when the feed starts drying up in the hills a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, they come on out into the barley fields. Yep. Yeah, and so, uh, so on general, I would say that we that we probably take um, you know 300 pigs a year, and generally our success rate on the pig hunts we guarantee 100% shot opportunity. So if oh, a hunter wow. doesn't have shot opportunity, um, which um, is very very rare that that <laughs> happens. I'd say most of the time, um, you know, we run a super high success, so 99 to 100% success rate on the pig hunts. Um, but if for some reason they don't have shot opportunity, then bring them back or extend their hunt to make sure they get. Um, their opportunity at a at a pig, and same thing with our deer and our turkey and our elk hunts as well. Yeah. But um, what does a pig hunt cost? Uh, a pig hunt. Our pig hunts are a thousand dollars, and that's for a two day pig hunt. Oh um, wow, really? Yeah. And we're, I say with I say two day, but it, it it we set it up over a three day schedule. It's very common, especially in California. I know a lot of other ranches and a lot of other outfitters in the state do it this way. So we'll have hunters arrive noon on the first day, get settled in, uh, sight in rifles, get settled in the lodge. And then hunt that afternoon, hunt the next full day, and then conclude the hunt by noon on the third day, mm -hmm. which I guess is a real, real standard uh, breakdown. Yeah, of a two night stay with over a three day period. Yeah, it allows the hunters to come in, at least not, it's tough to start a hunt in the morning. Yeah. When everybody you just gets there. just meeting each other, just <laughs> figuring out who's who and, All right, let's go. and names and faces, and as the sun's coming up. You know, you're into the hunt in five minutes and there's pigs running past you. So you're asking people to shoot at them, it's a little tough. But, um, but yeah, so that, that that's typically how we do it. Like I say, a thousand dollars for for our pig hunts. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, area that we're in. Um, it seems like you know, as far as um, wildlife and the wildlife management in our area um, has grown a lot. I think uh, most property owners anymore um, are pretty. I think forward thinking in the way of management mm -hmm. and managing the deer herds and managing the the elk and the pigs like you say because it is such a a revenue stream for them yeah. that's not part of their daily business so right um it's well i mean if i had the opportunity to do that like if i was a rancher oh, and yeah. i was like hey you know i can make an extra 500 or you know 500 dollars per client and get yeah. 300 clients oh yeah exactly that's, yeah that's a phenomenal yeah. extra income. Yeah. So it's kind of funny with our business, uh, we started out as a, uh, it's been a slow 
we've had a pretty successful last few years, but it's been a, like it's a slow growth to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we started out as a tax review studio. In 05. In 05. And so we started, when we started doing that. Um, so I were worked, you fresh out of high school? You weren't fresh out of high school. You went to college for? I went to college for a couple of years and okay. then did the firefighting. And then also I worked on um, my first job in the, uh, I'd say the outfitting business or the guiding business was in uh was for two i guess two separate companies and one company locally guiding pig hunts then i also worked on santa rosa island off the coast of santa barbara so i started working out there in 2004 um and then from there worked out there and guided a bit on my own here locally and then also had the tax review studios worked out there until 2011. so in 2011 um and just a a quick history of the, the island 2011 the national park service that has control of the channel islands um, eradicated all the deer and the elk off of the island. A lot Which of people, makes no sense. Yeah, a lot of people blame the state because our state is obviously very left. But um, it wasn't the state. But it wasn't the state at all. It was it, MPS. It was yeah. It was the National Park Service and uh, and Department of the Interior that that pushed that through and that controlled that eradication. Well, so. I, I think national the national park system is. And I'm not going to knock it one way or the other, but a really good book that I've read is called Playing God in Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know if you've read that. but I've heard of it, but I've not read it. God, that book is amazing. If <laughs> you want a really good idea of what the National Park Service has done in the past. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing now, but it's done in the past, you know, from a, from a guy who was, I want to say their lead historian or you know, president of the historical society for Yellowstone who wrote this book. Um, someone please correct me if I'm butchering it and getting it wrong, but the book is phenomenal. The park service definitely likes to play God (laughs) with wildlife resources. Yeah. I think for sure. And I think on on that Island too, they, they changed the ecology of the Island. So, so rapidly on a lot of aspects of it that, uh, overall, uh, you know, those animals had been out there for you know, over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So to, to remove them in three days, essentially, um, makes a difference. Yeah. You major know? difference. So, yeah. It changes the entire yeah. ecosystem. And, and obviously they changed the ecology and the ecosystem of the island when they put them on, when the, when the family that owned the island previously put them onto the island, but to pull them off that quick too, um, obviously makes a difference. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, so worked out there till, th- till 2011 when that came to an end. And then from there, then we were able to, um, I guess, focus more on our business. And uh, I usually spent about 120 days a year on that island uh, guiding. And then I would come back in the winter and do taxidermy. But then uh, from 2011, then we've slowly built our business to where we have it now, um, which like I say, we hunt. Uh, like I say, our business now is probably 80% uh, hunting and probably about 20% tax for me it and used it, to be, it, was it completely completely flopped so there's still um there's still <laughs> myself plus um i have four full-time employees plus myself and then um, those guys mostly uh mostly guide full-time but they also work in the tax for me full-time as well mm-hmm. so it's a it's a good mix between the two because obviously most hunts especially since we run year-round most of our hunts are taking place on weekends um, if we can book a midweek hunt we always do because that's nice to kind of break it up and keeps yeah. us going during the week but uh, the tax has been a great tool to keep uh, our team busy. Uh, busy 
and keep working because uh, nobody, cause, you know, no one wants downtime and everybody wants to, to stay busy. No one wants to get furloughed yeah. or, or get laid off, you know, through the down, through the down season, you know. So. Well, not only that, I mean, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You can, you can get your tag, you can go on your hunt, you can get your taxidermy done, and you can get your meat done. Yep, and that's and that's kind of what we've all what we're I guess the direction we've tried to go with it, and we've uh, and we've uh, sent stuff out before. Like we've uh, we've had other companies do the meat, and they do a great job. But it was one of those things where we just kept we'd have to transport it from here to the butcher, and uh, just another step in the process. And um, we have the facility to do it, and we had the manpower and the tools to do it, and the knowledge. Um, so it just made sense for us to step, move our business into the, the meat processing as well, which I don't think is from a business standpoint goes, I don't think we're going to, um, you know, make a, you know, a, a financial killing at it, but it's just one more thing to offer people and just one more thing to we'll make uh, such a seamless. Yeah. It just, it, I, I think mo- mostly it, it comes down to, and everything that we've tried to do with our business is kind of centered around it, but it comes down to customer service. So, yeah. um, if, if we can control the tax for me, if we can control the meat processing, then we can control the service. Mm-hmm. And we don't. And I've felt in the past, uh, just dealing with any piece of my other of our tax for me studio business or our hunting business, whenever we um, use an outside vendor, we uh, and if if they drop the ball, I'm not saying that they do, but if they drop the ball, then it's tough for us to control that. So it's a lot easier to control in house yeah. as far as the service goes. Less mistakes. So, yeah. Not saying that there's been mistakes, but no, exactly. You so, know what I mean? You have ex- what you're saying. You have more control. Yeah, or like more they, ability. Yeah, what, what, what people would like to call vertically integrated. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Take care of it from A to B. <laughs> well, you know, and it's so funny too what you bring up, which is it's customer service, right? Yeah. And that's what you're providing, and you know, on my on my last hunt that I was on in the Whites with Jake, one of the biggest things that he hammered home to everybody on the mountain was client comes first, client comes first, client comes first. And it's so, and it's so true. Um, what a, what a good, another good friend of mine, who's a, a, a professional hunter in Africa told me, he said, uh, you should wait on the clients. The clients should never wait on you. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I tell my guys too, you know, we can, uh, there's a lot of outfitters for, uh, especially for pigs. There's a pile of pig outfitters in California and there's a lot of great ones. Um, I tell our guys, I said, you guys can go pig hunt anywhere, but what's going to keep them coming back is our attention to detail mm-hmm. and our customer service. And like Jake says too, in the same, yeah. you know, the, the same feeling in his business and, uh, and he's very good at it is, uh, is putting the client number one. So yeah. even if we have something going on, uh, they're here, you know, they're the priority. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, I think a lot of people looking outside into the guiding world yeah miss that you know because at the end of the day that's really what it all boils down to is customer service because if you're out and you're saying oh come hunt my properties come hunt with me it's going to be the best experience of your life and then everybody gets a terrible experience yeah how are you going to get your next clients because i'm and maybe my you know my opinion the hunting world gets really small really fast it does and Bridges can be burnt so quickly and reputations can be, I don't want to say destroyed, but they can be like, you don't want to get, you definitely don't want to get a bad name. You don't want to get a bad name starting out, you know, offering terrible guide service, you know, and, and well, and that, and that being said too, I think a lot of with, and with hunting and obviously like people say, you know, hunting is hunting. So, um, there's certain things you can't control in the outfitting business. You, You can't control the wildlife. 
and you can't control the weather. Right. But what you can control is uh, is your presence mm -hmm. on the hunt. Um, if your vehicles are in good shape and are clean, if the hunting lodge is in good shape, clean, the beds are comfortable and the food is good. Mm -hmm. um, the experience. They, yeah, the total experience. So obviously, if it's if if for some reason we have uh, hard weather to hunt in or we can't, we're having a hard time finding game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously that's stuff that we can't control, mm -hmm. but what we can control, we do control, mm -hmm. you know, so try to make it, you know, I'd say, uh, the top or the best that we can do from, yeah. you know, from start to finish outside of the weather and, the, All day. and, and what the animals are doing. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's extremely important and nobody too. And if, if hunting is hard, um, which I can say with uh, typically with the pig hunts and stuff, it usually isn't, but if you get into, you know, you know, hunting an animal in the rut like elk or turkeys, or you're trying to get them in a, and, and you just, we're, if we miss that breeding window by a little bit and the hunts can be a little tougher to find those bigger animals, um, it's a lot harder on the customer mm -hmm. if they're not getting a good night's sleep and if they're not eating well. Yeah. So uh, if they're eating well and sleeping well, it makes uh, a tougher hunt or a hunt that turns into a little bit of a grind, which some do, um, makes those go a lot smoother and makes for, I think, uh, the guides and the customers to be happier at right. the end of the day. So, yeah. What is it? What does a turkey hunt look like out here? No, well, turkey hunts are a, a pile of fun. And turkey hunts. It, it's a funny thing. When I started guiding hunters, turkey hunts were one of the first things I ever hunted. I had a friend of mine that actually I guided with him on Santa Rosa Island. He asked me to take him on a turkey hunt. And I knew nothing. <laughs> of, I, at the time, I knew nothing about. It. I had shot turkeys before on uh, cattle ranches and stuff that we had, but I didn't hunt. We just hopped out of the truck and shot a couple turkeys for Thanksgiving. Um, so there wasn't much to it, but I, uh, I talked to a couple of friends that had done some turkey hunts and watched some videos. And this was before YouTube, you know, so we just, you know, I had some DVDs on turkey hunting and watched those and took, uh, took my friend out for the first time. And we had a great hunt and, and called a bird in and killed it. But I learned a lot that day. And I think most turkey hunters will tell you this, that you learn something about turkeys every time you hunt them. Um, so we started with 100 that first season. The next year we did like six. The next season we did 12. And then last year we did about 65 turkey hunters uh -huh. through the spring season. Um, and so myself and the guides, it's like the one hunt that we really look forward to. And that's, and I feel funny saying that because I am, uh, in my mind, a big game hunter. You know, that's, that's who I am or what I do. Yeah. I, I love deer hunting. I love elk hunting. I'm very passionate about it. Um, but turkey hunting is, uh, is the next best thing, especially in the spring. It's, uh, it's just a great experience and a great hunt. Mostly because I think um, the weather in the spring and everything's the, so green the country. too. Yeah, so yeah. everything's green. The flowers are blooming. Rolling uh, hills. The birds are chirping. The, yeah. the weather's gorgeous. Yeah, a little bright light breeze on you and the sun's in your face. Um, it's just a, I'd say a, a pleasant time to be in the hills. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this time of year in the fall and in the summer, you know, it's warm and it's hot and, you know, and you're, uh, and you're dealing with that and everything's dry and crunchy, but in the spring, it's just such a nice time to hunt. Um, when it's so different than what we're used to here too. No, exactly. You know, and the turkeys are funny, uh, in the fact that, um, it's, it's become a much more popular um, game to hunt it seems like in the last four or five six, years yeah or even 10 or 15 years yeah. I think too and most of that I think you could attribute to companies like uh, Cabela's and Bass Pro because you only sell so much 
stuff for deer hunting. But you only for, sell so much big game but because for it's a limited hunting, season. And, yeah. uh, for turkey hunting, they can sell a million different calls <coughs> and different blinds and different decoys. And so you get the turkey hunting catalog now from Bass Pro. Yeah. And it's an inch thick and it's full of everything you could think of. For wow, turkey. they have a turkey hunting catalog that's that Yeah, that's just it's huge, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, the turkey hunting is a... It's, I'd say one of the funner, the funner hunts we do, and it is a, a true hunt, and I tell the hunters that, um, just in the fact that you're on the ground, on foot, um, hunting them all day and trying to call them in, which is, I would say, is unnatural for them, but usually in nature what will happen with turkeys is the hen wants to go to the tom to be bred, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, you know, he gobbles, she yelps, and she'll go to him to get bread. So we're asking them to do something that's unnatural. So calling them to us, which obviously they want to do, but um, a lot of times people say, well, the bird hung up on me. Well, they hung up because they'll gobble, and they expect the... Uh, Hen to show up. To drop the other, yeah, come, come the other distance to him, too, yeah. so to get bread. But uh, but on our turkey hunts, we've been real fortunate. We have some amazing properties, and we've uh, we run 100% success on those hunts. Um, and for big birds, we, uh, once in a while, a, a Jake gets shot, but for the most part, we, uh, we focus on shooting mature toms and we've been real fortunate, um, like I say, in the property that we have and the quality of guides that we have too. I have to attribute most of our success to the quality of the team, uh, that I have, uh, running the operation, helping me. The guys are fantastic and, uh, they're extremely passionate about hunting, which is so important. And then, um, and you know you got to love your job so right. it's pretty hard not to love hunting so yeah but it but it's a lot of fun so uh like well, I say, and, and also good. what a great season filler too to to have pegs 365 to have a, a spring and fall turkey season yeah you know what i mean that really helps fill in the gap between you know tule elk and a zone archery opener and everything else that we have going on in california because Otherwise, there's just an enormous yeah. dead season. And that's and it's funny. About nothing. We have other friends or outfitters in other states, and you know their season will be a couple months long or a month long or maybe two weeks in some instances if they're doing us a, a real short season on a deer hunt. But um, we're very fortunate in the state of California, just as sportsmen, uh, to have a lot of an abundance of open seasons. <laughs> yeah, of stuff to hunt and fish, and uh, yeah. and I think the sporting opportunities of California, and I think a lot of people from out of state. Um, think of California as just this super left uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco feel. And, and not a sportsman's paradise. Yeah, when really you look at it, you look at uh, just the amount of fishing alone in the state yeah. is, uh, is better than almost anywhere else in the country. Right. You know, well, not that. only that, but you get a six-month archery season. Where are you going to find a six-month archery season anywhere yeah. in the lower 48? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's unbelievable. yeah if you get an AO tag, you can hunt everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so our archery season here in the A-Zone starts the second Saturday in July and extends for 21 days. And then the rifle season starts a week after, starts the second Saturday in August and runs for 45 days. Um, But like I say, if if you're willing to travel and drive around and check the other units out. Check D-Zone, Southern California, you know, D-Zone, B-Zone. Yeah, a ton of opportunity. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah, the turkey hunters, uh, the turkey turkey season runs from the last Saturday in March and then runs and typically until that I think it says 44 days but in or 45 days but it'll be until that uh, the first I tell people like the first Sunday in May mm-hmm. usually it'll run to and then archery in June will extend for two weeks past that yeah and then uh, from that time then it's funny after turkey season ends 
um, our pig season, really the bulk of our pig season is from uh, May until, uh, until August. So you and do lot, more summer hunting. More summer hunts. And I think a lot of people think that's funny when we talk to them. But in the pastorables area where we're at, uh, because there's so much dry land grain production, uh, that's what those pigs are focused on. So we'll see anywhere from... Um, you know, 50 to 100 pigs a morning this time of year mm-hmm. from pigs traveling. I saw pigs this morning when I was driving down to yeah. San Luis Obispo. Yeah, exactly. Like right off the side of the freeway. Yeah. I was like, dude, there's 10 pigs right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good pigs too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it, our summer is by far our busiest hunting months. We'll probably do in June and July, we'll probably kill 100 pigs in just those two months. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll start slowing down in August just because of the deer and the tule elk. Our tule elk hunts, we typically start them. Um, we can hunt them as early as July 15th or July 1st in some instances. And they're still in velvet. And still in velvet on July 1st. But they, uh, <laughs> That's so it, cool. Yeah, so we've, we've shot some really, we have a couple properties where we can kill some, some tremendous bulls. We've killed um, several bulls in the top five of the state, which is, you know, 340 to 360 inch bulls. Yeah. Uh, which is... Uh, just, well, the one that I was just looking at in there, you said it was like a 349. Correct. Yeah. 349 and some velvet. It's yeah. like a split main beam. Unbelievable elk. I've never seen a Thule elk yeah. with that much mass. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's un- insane. Yeah. And an unbelievable property. And like I say, it's private land, so it, uh, it, it's, it, it gets managed, has that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the results are amazing. With those, uh, you know, if you have good with feed, proper good water, proper management, uh, you can grow some really great mature animals. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll start that. Like that bull was shot early in July. But then we'll start seeing some red activity in the tule elk, um, typically around the later part of July. But then they'll really seem like they start to peak mid-August. Uh-huh. So mid-August. And then they'll start to tail off, you know, right now. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, but it, and it's too bad, you know, in our area, we have the Lapanza unit. Um, which is a really large unit, but those hunts, if you draw, if a person's lucky enough to draw that tag, that hunt is for two weeks in the middle of October. Mm-hmm. And then the second period, that's for period one and period two is for two weeks in the middle of November. Um, which is really difficult because by that time, most of the good bulls are, uh, either been broken or aren't with the herd anymore, a little harder to find because yeah. the rut is, uh, you know, it can, on that first period, you'll still get some rut activity, <coughs> but definitely by the... By the second period, you're looking. Most we're looking mostly for lone bulls that are, mm. you know, are camped out on a ridge somewhere, trying to get their energy back from the rut. Yeah. But um, but in our elk season, we'll probably do anywhere from, um, I'd say you know last year we did twelve tule bulls. Really. Um, all successful hunts. Yeah, all successful. It was one hundred percent success again. Yeah, on the on the tule elk and, and, we're, I'd and say the turkey on, you said and, too, and right? the turkeys and the black-tailed deer. Um, and then, uh, and then for the pigs, uh, we do, it's a hundred percent success. So I'd say about 99, 98%, uh, success on the pigs. Um, we do a lot more of those. We get a lot more hunters that are first time hunters. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, we'll have some hunters that might like, uh, we had some hunters this last weekend. They, they took shots at pigs every outing. So every half day they were on pigs shooting at pigs Oh wow! And they, they did not kill pigs until the last morning of yeah. the hunt. So, um, just throwing, like, what, I guess, throwing copper, not yeah. lead anymore. So what, what another outfitter told me when I was younger, he said, uh, we, we talked, what he talked about the clients, he said, I can, I can find the pigs. I can get you close to the pigs, 
but I can't pull the trigger for you. Yeah. And so, and th- that's what we do, but we, I think we also do a good job of coaching our customers and coaching our clients um, to make a good shot or to make a successful shot, um, to get in under, uh, under 180 yards yeah. seems to be the, the gold number for, for having high success on shots, asking hunters to take 200 yard shots and that, uh, which for a lot of people, 200 yard shots isn't a very far shot, but for, um, say first time hunters or hunters with very little experience, a 200 yard shot can be, ext- is pretty extended That's range long. for them. Yeah. They, yeah. it looks like it's a long ways out there. They may not trust their rifles. We try to tell me, you know, if you, if the crosshairs are on them, when the gun goes off, the you bolt's probably gonna hit, hit them. You're going to hit them. Yeah. But it's just getting that into people's mind and getting them to trust their, uh, trust their firearm or trust yeah. their equipment that it's going to do. And like I say, a lot of them, they, maybe they might come pig hunting one time a year. So, um, you know, you try to do as much as you can to, to help get them in that position. But yeah, with the, with the elk, especially with those hunts, um, they're, they've, We've always been 100% on them. We've been very fortunate that way that we have some great properties to hunt. And then same with the Lapanza unit. Um, for our draw tag hunters, they're lucky enough to draw it and use us to, uh, to help them uh, Do successfully harvest their animal. Um, we have access, I would think, to every herd in the unit. So, so it, if somebody was to draw a tag and then book you for a hunt, yeah, what does that cost for a Lapanza hunt? Yeah, for the Lapanza hunt, it's uh, Lapanza. it's ninety five hundred. Okay, and that's uh, and we do that hunt on a, on a uh, five day hunt with meals and lodging for the hunt too. Um, but then what a lot of people got to realize is uh, you know half of that is usually going to the landowner for a trespass fee yeah. to to be able to get that animal. Um, and so uh, you know when you look at it that way. Um, we're just moving, make our day wage off of it, you know? So, um, but I think it, uh, it gives hunters a great opportunity to access and get, you know, if they're lucky enough to draw that tag, able to get an animal that, uh, is really once in a lifetime. Well, that's what it is. I mean, uh, when we were doing, uh, Owens Valley Tulio hunt this year, we were talking with the guy and it's a lifetime tag. Yeah. It's a once in a lifetime tag. He's waited every single year that he's put in for the draw to get that tag and he was just like if i was gonna you know if i want to do this hunt and i want to do it right i personally have to hire somebody yeah because these guys have the experience they have the knowledge they know everything about what's going on this is a once in a lifetime tag it's once in a lifetime experience for me i'm not going to pass it up and it's not like he's um you know gambling that that time yeah so 18 years or 16 years of his life he's been gambling on or you know yeah. putting in for the lottery to get that tag and finally gets it um yeah do you want to blow the opportunity makes sense yeah. it makes sense to, to try to find somebody that's uh that's hopefully an expert in that yeah, field absolutely and, and knows the area and knows the wildlife yeah completely i i mean for me i i don't think i would risk it no <laughs> you know but yeah, it's uh, you know, I hope maybe one day I'll be lucky enough to draw that tag. <laughs> but, but same thing we do. We uh, we'll do the Lapanza unit draw. Then we will also do uh, the Hunter Liggett mm-hmm. draw tags. Which Hunter Liggett's public land. Anybody can go in there. Um, but we funded it quite a bit, and we have a lot of knowledge of the units. And so um, again, for hunters that uh, that want help, we're more than happy to go help with that. And obviously on Hunter Liggett, because we don't have to pay a landowner permit. Or a landowner fee to trespass there, and then we do that for forty five hundred. Oh, the same okay. thing with meals and lodging for five days. 
um, or usually for the extent of the hunt. So typically the archery hunt in Hunter Lake, it's a nine day season. So we'll hunt the whole season in there yeah. with them. Uh, but typically, you know, success, I think on the, the last archery hunt that we did in there, uh, five of the six hunters had shot bulls by noon on the first day. <laughs> So it's just an unbelievable archery hunt. Wow! Not to like blow out the uh, the odds for drawing Hunter Liggett, but it's it's uh, it's good. The only the hard thing with that Hunter Liggett draw tag for tule elk is that if the base is doing drills, uh, drills or maneuvers, uh, they'll push that date back to as very as as far as they want. So yeah. they'll typically do it in July, um, but if they're doing maneuvers, that's usually when they do them is in July, and they'll push Go it back figure. to November. That you got an archery hunt elk in November yeah. is not. It's what fun. you want to do. It's not as fun as hunting them in the peak of the rut. Yeah. So. It's a little bit more challenging. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot tougher. But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, now we've been very fortunate to, uh, like I say, to carve out uh, a living uh, doing the hunting business <coughs> in our area. And then uh, I know I have a lot of friends that, uh, like you say, you know, Jake and those guys you hunt with in Owens Valley. Um, who have to travel mm-hmm. to their hunting area. And we're fortunate that, uh, you know, every night when I come home, I get to see my family and sleep in my own bed, which makes the, one of the hardest thing about guiding is typically you're gone for two or three months yeah. in an area where if you're hunting in Alaska or hunting out of state, you're in your area hunting for your season, a couple months, and while you prep and post hunt. Um, but with us here, yeah, very fortunate to be able to do it at home. And then very fortunate, too, to raise... Um, raise our children i have a i have two young daughters i have an eight-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old daughter and uh, be able to raise them in this uh in this environment lifestyle yeah exactly and yeah. so and more of a subsistence lifestyle where you know i'd say 100 percent of the meat we eat at home is wild game how cool is um, that yeah so uh my wife jokes if she ever buys me in town i always get because we have so much meat in the freezer from uh from hunting, you know, that we always typically, and like most sportsmen I think do, especially guys that are, that are bird hunting in the, in the, uh, in the winter shooting ducks. And if they're fishing too, typically they have a little bit of everything yeah. in their freezer. Like I'm sure you do from yeah. living up in your area, you probably got tons of great seafood all, all the time. Kind, oh yeah. yeah. Sturgeon's my favorite. Is it good? Huh? Oh yeah. yeah. I love sturgeon. Amazing fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh the amount of cooking that, I've gotten to learn throughout my whole life, all based around cooking wild game. Yeah. I've learned more about cooking wild game and fresh seafood than I have about cooking beef or anything else. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. I think that that's uh, not to like segue the conversation, but um, I think a big push, uh, what I've noticed lately in uh, the hunting business, especially in California, is that um, the I'd say the, the field to plate movement or it's that huge. natural movement has, has been very big and so the and really we see it most with the pig hunts mm-hmm. because it's a it's an affordable hunt it's the gateway drug for hunting it is and it's a, it's affordable it's the most affordable big game hunt people can do and you can do it any time of the year and when so, you can justify shooting a pig yeah a lot of people mentally can justify shooting pigs over a, a deer. fuzzy deer yeah. or something like that. Exactly. Because pigs are kind of funky. They're kind of gnarly looking. Yeah. You know, 
but they make bacon. You, you feel like you're not hurting the and population. They, and they make bacon, so yeah. that makes everything <laughs> exactly, okay, yeah. right? Just say there's bacon involved. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so we, it, it seems like we see a lot of hunters, yeah, that, that want to come up and, and get into that to see where their food comes from. Yeah. And a lot of people ask, what do you know? Do wild pigs taste good? And I, I think they, I tell people, is they taste. Um, just like domestic pork, just with more flavor. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, is it, is it gamey? I said, it's not gamey flavor, it's just more flavor based on maybe their diet or what they're eating. Our pigs mostly um, are mostly you know, domestic grain out of grain fields and out of farm fields. So uh, they taste uh, really good and really good and like super fat. Um, I'm sure if you get them out of acorns and stuff, like up there around um, Lake Sonoma and stuff, they might have a little different flavor to them, but still acorn yeah. fat pigs taste fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm, for me, you know, different from when your hunting season yeah. is. Mine is from October until about April first. I, yeah. I won't really hunt pigs after April first, just because it starts getting hot. You know, they're yeah. they're not really eating all the delicious, you know, wet winter ground foraging foods and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I've never shot a pig later in the year that's tasted bad. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't. And I always hear stories about people that shot, you know, some fat, sour, you know, big boar, and they just say, oh, it was really big, so it didn't taste good. I mean, I've never, I've never shot a pig that tasted bad, <laughs> and I've killed a few pigs, yeah. so I always find that interesting. Yeah, and definitely, like, the bigger pigs, like the boars, obviously, are going to be just like any, uh, any big male animal. It's going to be tougher, yeah. um, but, you know, prepared properly. Uh, can taste really good and a lot of times you know with the bigger pigs like that we'll make a lot of uh, sausage out of them which yeah. tastes fantastic too yeah you so. can't beat breakfast sausage no or jalapeno cheddar is like the yeah, go-to jalapeno right? cheddar is uh, for wild pigs it's like yeah. that's the seller <laughs> yeah you, that's like my go-to for almost anything that yeah. I kill it's jalapeno cheddar no yeah that's uh, I obviously that's probably like the most popular sausage variety for, for wild game do you guys do pigs. specialty sausages as we well we do and so with our meat processing it's kind of interesting we um, getting into that we wanted to do um you know obviously you give a service but there's some that there's a lot of great butchers in california and a lot of those guys will offer you know 40 different 50 different sausage varieties mm-hmm. but with us i thought well let's let's make it a little simpler and um and i my feeling with everything and in, in my business has, has been um you know uh, if you do something do it well mm-hmm. and uh yeah. And, and you're better off specializing in, in a couple things than trying to take on and everything. do good at everything. Yeah. So, so um, we, we picked a couple flavors that, uh, that we feel like uh, we make very well and we have great recipes for. Um, the, the one we do that, uh, that a lot of people don't, haven't really heard of is a Swiss sausage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's kind of has a, a wine base to it, um, but it's a real mild sausage. It's kind of a sweeter taste. Uh, kids really like it. Families really like it. I know with my kids, I always worry about making sausage that's too spicy because mm-hmm. I mean, I love the jalapeno cheddar, but yeah. you got to feed it to an eight year old and a seven year old. And, and if they of, don't like it, you hear a lot of complaining, yeah. you know, from them. So they love the, uh, they love the Swiss sausage. Um, and the Swiss sausage, I don't know if it's a regional thing, but there's uh, in the Salinas Valley of California, um, there's a, I'd say a lot of Swiss heritage. And so Swiss sausage is a, is a big deal 
uh, to our area. So everyone's pretty proud of the quality of Swiss recipe that they have or that their family has, has. had or their family I get, I get brought that. when they came over. So yeah. we'll, we'll do a Swiss and then we'll do like a mild Italian. Italian is obviously popular just because it's it goes good in so many different things and mm -hmm. recipes. So we'll do a mild Italian and then we'll do a jalapeno cheddar. Mm -hmm. And uh, the jalapeno cheddar, the Italian and the Swiss are all linked like a barbecue style sausage. And then um, we do a bulk breakfast sausage. Um, so then outside of that, then we'll do just um, your typical standard uh, cuts, either bone-in or bone-out cuts. Um, and then uh, we vacuum seal and label everything. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's a nice clean process. But then with the... Um, yeah, with that, with the sausages, it's kind of funny. We talk, we talk about which which ones we should do, or which ones we could do, or which ones we do the best, and so we kind of landed on those, uh, those three flavors, kind of based off of what people kind of generally ask for the most. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I don't know if everyone, if anyone knows of any better ones, let me know because I'm happy <laughs> to to throw them in or try them out or see what uh, what uh, what goes better. But just Bavarian and cheddar. Oh, that is great. I have the, the Los Gatos Meats makes a Bavarian yeah. cheddar that is to die for. Yeah, yeah, that's a really a good job. sausage. Oh, yeah. And it's another one of those ones kids can have and not yep. have that much issue with or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. they do a smoked sausage up there out of their facility that's just, yeah, it's un I don't know, I don't know if they, I don't know what they put in it, but it's really good. <laughs> so do you experience a lot of first-time hunters that are in it for... You know, they want to kill their own animal and, you know, organic, you know, field the plate yeah, kind well, of deal. It's, it's funny. We had a, we had a, a couple book that were from, uh, and of all places in California, they were from Compton, uh -huh. California. Well, Compton has actually pretty good... The Compton Hunting and Fishing Club. Yeah, the Compton Gun Club. Yeah, it's like, club, yeah. that place is the bee's <laughs> yeah. knees from what I hear in Southern yeah. California. And so uh, we had a couple from down there. They uh, they were preppers. Yeah. And so they, they started becoming preppers, and they and they had a, a good cache of uh, supplies that they put together. And they thought, well, you know, since we're prepping, maybe we should, uh, maybe Learn we should get a firearm. Learn some skills. Just, yeah, maybe we should get a firearm just so maybe we might have to protect, you know, this, this post-apocalyptic uh, mindset that they're in. We have to protect our, <laughs> our, our cash supplies we built. Yeah. And then they thought, well, you know, if we have the firearms, we should learn, learn how to use them. So they, they went to the range and they learned how to um, safely tactical you know, yeah, handle their firearms. And then they thought, well, you know, if we're going to have them, we should know how to harvest game. So they booked a hunt and they came and hunt, hunted with us and had a great hunt. Um, both harvested their very first animal, um, a pig for the husband, pig for the wife. And uh, we helped them um, break it down and help them process it and taught them how to process it and how to package it. And then, uh, and from there, uh, you know, they took that knowledge home and at least that uh, they were a great example because here, I think they both worked for, um, oh, uh, they're engineers for aeronautic companies. And oh, really? Compton just happened to be the one of the most affordable cities in LA to, to live in that right. was near where they were. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that they were a great example of somebody who came up, knew nothing, came on a hunt, was successful, you know, start to finish um, with their hunt. So it's, uh, yeah, you see more and more of it, but yeah. we definitely encourage it a lot. We get a lot of emails each week of people asking if, uh, if, uh, you know, if our guides or our team will help, uh, you know, teach them how to skin, field dress, even yeah. teach them how to hunt. And we're more than happy to, uh, you know, take people from start to finish of how to successfully, you know, look for tracks, look for game sign, mm -hmm. and find the game, 
successfully stalk in on the game, you know, with yeah. and like, and which seems second nature to a lot of us who grew up hunting, but to people that are maybe getting into hunting later in life or didn't have the opportunity to have um, uh, an adult figure uh, mentor them, uh, we're more than happy to, to yeah. take that step with them. Yeah. And, uh, and like I say, in our business, we're not looking to rush, um, rush people in and out the door. We're more than happy to stay and teach them do the entire experience yeah, as much as we can because yeah. um, the more hunters we have in the state of california the, the better the off better we are. off we are yeah. exactly because it's such as as you know and i and i and i see it too it's, it's such a fight um with the state anymore to you know they keep pushing our our hunting rights and our seasons and our yeah. species that we can hunt they keep getting uh getting pushed so that's slimmer that's and slimmer tough. yeah so yeah it's some something that i've seen a lot in in hunter's education and advanced hunter's education and teaching it is a huge influx especially teaching you know teaching marine county so a lot of the people from san francisco come to the nearest areas you know marine county to take their hunter's education courses go over a course with them and then they come up and talk to me after and then you know they want to talk about field to field to table and you know, organic harvesting of wild meat and all these things. And I'm like, it's just such a trip right now. We're in, I feel like we're in an evolution of change for hunting and especially for California. Yeah. Where that is such a huge influx and food is such an enormous part of what is going to carry us through whatever... I don't know, through whatever shit storms we have coming <laughs> yeah. down the pipe. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? But along with these people learning, understanding, because most people are not from traditional hunting families. They are not from backgrounds of it. They have no comprehension of the outdoors other than like, if I step foot off of the Pacific Crest Trail, I'm going to be eaten by a bear <laughs> or a mountain lion. And that's definitely not the case. Yeah. And you and I both know as hunters, there is no trail. We do not use a trail. Yeah. We are off the trail 99% of the time, you know, trying to find our harvest yeah. or kill. I think the biggest thing that, that, uh, that we get asked from, uh, say, non-hunters, I'm going to call them anti-hunters, but people that just are non-hunters or don't know anything about hunting, is, um, is if we eat them. Mm-hmm. And which seems so funny to me because I've, I've never shot anything yeah, other than the occasional squirrel or, you know, a coyote yeah. that I don't eat. I mean, if it's, yeah. uh, if it's, it's not a pig I shoot that I haven't eaten and the same thing with the, obviously the deer and the elk are top of the class for food. Right. But when people ask that, my wife is very into spear fishing and, uh, where she dives, um, she gets out of the water with the fish and everybody asks her, there's a lot of people around the beaches ask her if she's going to eat them. And which seems so funny to me because why would you not eat them? You know? yeah. I mean, that's the whole, the whole premise around behind the hunts we do. That's why we're doing it. Yeah. And same thing. Eat I, it. And I even get, uh, you know, with a lot of the Tulo countries, we get, we get them from out of state. A lot of guys are looking to, you know, complete their North America 29. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the couple guys we had in camp this last week, they asked me the same thing. We saw a lot of pigs on our elk hunt and they said, uh, well, hunters that shoot them, they eat them. I'm like, well, that's, I'd say 99% of the hunters that come pig hunting <laughs> are shooting them to take home pork yeah. chops, you know? Right. <laughs> so I think a lot of people think, well, wild pork, it's not going to taste good or, you know, it's uh, or wild turkeys. It's yeah. That doesn't taste good, but that's not it. I think most people are shooting them to eat them. You yeah. know, I mean, obviously the fun of the sport of the hunt, but then it's a, uh, 
just taking home some groceries at the end of the day is like the biggest part of it, right. you know? So like you say, yeah, I think it's a, uh, that sustainable and it is a sustainable harvest. Uh, you know, we've taken those, especially in deer hunting and elk hunting, taking those top 1% animals out of the herd. You're not affecting the herd in any way. Maybe take a few, uh, cows or does or females off the herd, but, um, it's all positive, herd management yeah. at the end of the day, which helps it. And I think a lot of people, hopefully in the state of California, get that, that it, it's, it's a necessity. Yeah. Well, something also that you brought up, which I find funny and I can relate to is talking about, uh, when you're taking out new hunters, there's so much stuff for us that is so second nature. It doesn't even register as like teachable moment. Yeah. Right. For a new hunter. And I do that a lot because I've spent a lot of time in the field with new hunters and I will miss teachable moments left and right Yeah. because to me, it's just so like, all right, cool. Just cruising <laughs> through normal routine. Yeah. You doesn't see it even, every day. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't even register yeah. as anything other than like, all right, boom. It was just a blip going by. And it, I think it's so important to when teaching new people and taking yeah. new people out really just trying to take that extra moment which you said you guys do yeah take that extra moment and really try to hone in and and teach the person you know they're there for the experience yeah exactly and you're going to try to show them the best picture of what it is like to hunt and yeah. give them the best experience as far as you know looking at sign tracks finding the game shot opportunity you know the whole thing all the way down which yeah. is that's just so important. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, like you say, and with, you know, with first time hunting too, it's, uh, it's tough. I think, especially in the state of California, I think, uh, and another guy told me one time, he said, a lot of people out of state think, uh, you know, California hunters uh, don't know how to hunt, but uh, a hunting opportunity in the state, if uh, you have to be a very good hunter <laughs> to, be to, to be successful on public yeah. land in the state of California yeah. and, and nothing against the hunters out of state, you know, but, um, but the, the hunting pressure on public land in California is so huge well, that, uh, that if you don't hunt hard, I mean, obviously you're going to get, and a lot of hunting is luck too. You're going to get lucky, but, um, the guys that do really well, um, put in a ton of time and effort yeah. uh, to do well on public land. And well, I think it's out of state guys. They think of California as a bunch of yahoos, but I think honestly, a lot of California yeah. guys probably hunt harder than tougher nails when it comes <laughs> you to gotta be, grit on the mountain. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point. Also the fact that when you go out of state, the buck to doe ratio and most of the rest of the western states is so enormous yeah you know compared to coming here where like on my last year hunt i went 11 days i think i saw 12 does and three bucks in 11 days oh jeez. you know what i mean and yeah. that was like the first six days i didn't see an animal yeah like six days of nothing. Was that that buck you just posted on social media? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, yeah uh, congratulations. It was a good buck. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was a great buck. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and and it's not a knock on, on out-of-state guys. They just have so much more opportunity that they don't have to work as hard. But to our benefit, when you take a Californian and you put us in a general unit yeah. out-of-state over the counter... 
where in our general units, you have to work so hard (laughs) to make an opportunity, like maybe be an opportunity that when you go put forth half that effort in a general unit out of state, you know, the amount of opportunities that we can have is so much more abundant. Yeah, way higher. Yeah. Yeah. So I say we're we're fortunate with the amount of public or amount of private land that we uh, that we manage. So with with our business, we lease over thirty different private mm-hmm. ranches, and they like I say, they range in size from one hundred fifty thousand acres down to ranches as small as maybe a hundred acres. You know, oh, really small little pieces that we yeah. hunt. They might have a good population of turkeys on them, or you might be able to take two or three bucks off of a year. But with that, with uh, with first time hunters, it's uh, or people that are new to hunting, uh, it's nice to be successful. It's nice yeah. to go out and see a lot of game. And when I tell people with taking kids out too, it's hard to take a kid out. And uh, and I, obviously not everybody has the means to do uh, to do a, a private hunt with an outfitter. But a lot of times it's uh, it's nice for a kid to go out and be successful right out of the gate, no matter what it is. I think that's maybe why why fishing is more popular overall because you can go out throw a hook in the water and catch a fish quite often, you know, yeah. but for hunting, it's just like you say, so much more competitive on public land, but on it private. It took me 11 years to get a deer on yeah, public land. Exactly. Time. 11 years. Yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah. So on private, you know, hopefully, we, you know, the nice thing about that and about first time hunters or new hunters or kids, especially is that, um, there's a lot of opportunity yeah. uh, to see game and experience wildlife and to, you know, and to get make successful stocks and to get in on animals, even if they're not making a kill shot, if they miss or whatever may happen after we get in there, but at least at least they're hunting, yeah. you know, and they have yeah. prey in front of them rather yeah. than sitting there looking at a blank hillside or walking around the corner and there's three guys standing right. where you want them to be already. So, <laughs> like, no, yeah, <laughs> why are you on my ridge? <laughs> right. So, what about blacktail? We've kind of covered we've covered turkeys, we've covered tule oak. And we've covered pigs. I mean, first this year, your blacktail season has just been nonstop. Yeah, we've we've had a really good season, uh, and I don't. And it's funny we we hunt blacktail. We've we hunt a blacktail every year that we've had our business, but this year especially, <clears throat> it's been a great season for us. Um, we have more property than we've ever had, and that's part of it. we have we've had uh, we have some really good guides with us right now that are um, just super strong deer hunters. And I say again, real passionate about what they're doing, which makes them just really key people. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, our deer year this year, I mean, we started off in archery season. Um, we probably did like, I think 10 archery bucks this year. And same thing with those are the archery deer hunts. Um, outside of uh, one customer, we had um, uh, hit a buck, but I was not able to harvest it. It, did, it wasn't a fatal uh, hit, it kind of hit him through the top of the neck. And we saw the buck um, days later back doing uh, doing deer things. Yeah, <laughs> laying down and eating on the hill. But um, but outside of that, uh, I'd say uh, the rest of the hunters were 100% and taking home. So we were 100% on on shots and 100% on hitting bucks at least um, with those hunters. But then and same right into uh, into the rifle season. Uh, it seems like this year what we're seeing for bucks in the A zone. Uh, overall are a lot of uh, a lot of younger bucks and I think it's going to just progress to get better with the drought we had uh, four years ago that really knocked down a lot of what you know we'd like to be seeing more four and five year old deer right now we're seeing a lot of two and three year old deer yeah we started getting those good range three years ago after we had those bad droughts Um, but we're seeing what I feel like as a as a buildup of deer now back from that drought 
and so and a healthy deer population from that too especially with these last few years but um yeah this year i think we've killed i was trying to count like maybe 11 bucks that are and we kind of in the a zone i don't know we 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 have a hard time getting high scoring bucks where if you get around covalo and and that north coast area they get some really great uh, genetics up there and they get a lot of 125 plus inch deer stud black yeah tails. giant black tail up there but down here a lot of locals a lot of us we kind of go off of width so this year i think we've killed maybe 11 bucks that are over 20 inches wide which for us is uh is is unheard of i killed my first 20 inch buck in 2010 and i you know so and <laughs> i've been, been hunting, hunting a long time life. before that my whole yeah. life I've, I've, I've killed typically and just until the last few years uh i've always killed two bucks every year because i've always been fortunate to have private land to hunt on yeah but anymore um i've been fortunate to hunt a lot and to successfully harvest a lot of deer that now i get as much or more joy out of watching other people uh, be successful that it's not as important for me to go out and isn't that and a fun experience buck. getting to watch someone take their first animal it or, is you it know is. be a part of that oh yeah it's uh, i remember i uh watched my daughter shoot a sheep in hawaii uh, this last year archery um, or rifle uh, with rifle with yeah. um with justin lee I uh-huh. think you met at yeah. the archery challenge yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on justin's ranch and yeah we i was there. watching his his archery hunt here it was yeah, just phenomenal exactly. yeah so yeah so he took us out sheep yeah. hunting and or he took us out turkey hunting and the turkey hunting was tough but we were able to in the middle of the turkey hunt we saw some sheep uh he looked at and Alice and said, Alice, do you want to shoot a sheep? And she's, you know, like any little kid, yeah, well, it, she'll hunt anything. We get to yeah. shoot it. Yeah. yeah. So um, I brought a, a 223 with us to the island when we went over there to vacate. We were just there on vacation. Um, so I went back to the Jeep, got the 223. We went over and stalked in, and she made a great, about 130 yard shot and killed the ram. And uh, so then it, that was when I met Justin. So then I invited Justin back to hunt this year. And then finally, that was two years ago we went hunting. So finally this year he came back he and, made went, it out. and made it out to go uh, to go hunting after he was at the Total Archery Challenge. Yeah. So Biggest was, smiling guy on the planet. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's an amazing, <laughs> amazing diver, spearfish, an amazing yeah. human. But then he also, it was really funny with his buck. We're watching all these bucks out in a grain field, and they're kind of moving their way along this tree edge, looking to go back to bed. And we're also hunting with uh, with another friend and client uh, of his, and we had dropped him off. We we're working really hard to get him a buck, but we got around to a point where I needed to, you know, I told Justin, "Man, you should, should get out." And you know, we kind of got to hold these deer, maybe try to ambush them with all different angles of where they're leaving the field. And Justin just looks at me and he smiles. And he says, uh, I guess I'm going to kill a buck this morning. And he steps out of the pickup. And I thought, man, that's awful optimistic of this guy. <laughs> oh, wow. You've never does. hunted a blacktail before, have you? <laughs> the guy's just a natural hunter. Yeah. He sneaks out there yeah. and sticks his first blacktail 20 minutes into the hunt. Are you kidding? Yeah. It was that quick. In no time. Yeah. The buck's wow. leaving the field. He walks out there. And I, I drive up on the ridge and I'm glassing just watching these guys work the bucks. And they come right to Justin. And, uh, and even later, he's like... I, you know, he's like, I've never looked at a blacktail really until today. He's like, I didn't know which one was the the, the bigger one. Which one to shoot? <laughs> uh, he's like, so I just, you know, the first one that kind of stood broadside, I shot. I'm like, oh, that's good. You know, yeah. he get his first archery blacktail buck. So hopefully we'll get him back out here next year and get him a, yeah, work on getting him a, a trophy buck. But uh, but typically in the season, like say this year, like we'll take about 40 bucks. Um, we run up, I would say about, you know, about eight to 10 trophy buck hunts. And then the rest we do are... Um, management buck hunts mm-hmm. so a higher uh, concentration on management bucks just because trophy bucks are harder to come by and we want to manage the herd or take out those bucks that yeah. 
that aren't gonna that aren't gonna become wide, big three yeah. pointers and four pointers and stuff like that. So, <laughs> but uh, it uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a great year for it. Um, and then, like I say, we have um, private land management tags too that'll allow us. So our seasonal end here Sunday on the twenty second, mm -hmm. and then our um, general our landowner tags will be able to hunt them into October. <coughs> yeah. And so we'll take four management bucks. So on, the, on our PLM that we run, it's 42,000 acres, mm -hmm. and the state allows us to take six bucks off that 42,000. So not many per acre, but um, the deer herd on that on the ranch where the PLM is isn't as strong as some of the herds we have yeah. on uh, the west side of town, closer to the coast. There's more deer per acre. You get on the east side of Paso Robles, east side of 101, there's fewer deer per acre. Really? So we'll take... Why is that, do you think? Uh, you know, I don't know. It used to have... Well, I would say a lot of it is, is predation. Mm -hmm. is, is, I think it plays a huge part. Uh, eagles, coyotes, mountain lions. Um, and I think... And eagles is a, is a big one. Um, we have... Really? Yeah, it's funny. And I... And I, I and more recently, I've, I've thought that more and more just from what I've been observing around, just around our ranch, we, uh, we raise um, sheep as well. So grass-fed lambs we raise. And uh, we probably had 10 lambs uh, killed Snaps. by eagles last really? year. Really? Uh, and the same thing, my older brother manages the ranch next to me, and he uh, chases eagles off of calves constantly. Really? So there'll be golden eagles just sitting on top of newborn calves. And that's crazy. You know, or like there was a video, there was a video on um, social media that was going around a lot this last year of an eagle sitting on the back of an antelope. Yeah, dope. just grabbing. Yeah, it. eating right at her. And yeah. so I've never, I haven't seen anything as as graphic and gruesome as that. But um, but I have seen them pick up lambs and take them off. And I think the same thing they do with uh, with deer with doe fawn with deer fawns as well. So, yeah, um, I think they're. I really never hard even on them. thought about yeah, that. Yeah, I think they're pretty. Now. I think they're pretty tough on them. Especially in this country because it's real open. Yeah. As we are, as you get further east of the 101, you get more open country. West of the 101, there's a lot more rainfall and you're going to get a lot thicker vegetation. Mm -hmm. So uh, the deer tend to do a little better. More places to hide. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. So we'll take our four management bucks and two trophy bucks. So about the same ratio. Mm -hmm. About, uh, you know. Um, two-thirds of what we take up early management. So what's the difference in price from doing a private land management hunt to doing a management buck hunt to doing a yeah, trophy so our, buck hunt? Yeah, so on our management deer hunts, we run those hunts the same schedule as you do our pig hunts. So mm -hmm. you arrive on a half day, arrive on Friday, hunt that afternoon, hunt a full day, and then conclude the hunt by noon on the first day. And so for the management buck hunts, that tends to leave us plenty of time to find a nice, respectable, you know, healthy management deer. And most of those management buck hunters are, are coming on, you know, to kill a buck, number one, but then obviously um, to get a nice meat buck. It's not a trophy deer. Yeah. And to some people it may be, and if they, they want to mount them, we're happy to help them with that. But we're more focusing on uh, quality control. So more focused on trying to kill a deer that's, gonna, that's not going to become a trophy yeah um, and leaving the bucks that are going to become trophies so how do you make that judgment in the field looking at the deer it's really tough and a lot of it comes down to experience and, I, and some people argue us at times that maybe that's not the best management buck to be taken some management bucks are no-brainers so if you see a large say three to four year old deer that's a spike on one side and a two or a three on the other that's a no-brainer that obviously yeah. Get he's rid got of some poor genetics yeah um, but typically um, we look for bucks that uh, that have a really tight fork so their fork isn't opened up um, and then as far as their antler configuration they kind of wrap up um, more into, into a, a basket heart shape okay yeah, rather than uh, rather than laying out so we try to promote a wide genetic and try to promote um, 
you know, points. So if we see anything with a third point, we don't take it as a management or try not to take it. Obviously, in some instances, you can't yeah. quite see it. And you get up to, you know, shoot, you know, wish you wouldn't have taken that one. But it's hard to make that call, especially <laughs> blacktail deer hunting. Yeah. Even on private land, blacktail deer hunting is, uh, you got to be quick, yeah. you know, at times because they are. They uh, move, man. They're keen. Uh, yeah, they're really fast. And uh, so any opportunity, I know um, I posted a video the other day on our Instagram of a, uh, shooting a buck that was bedded and and somebody commented if we shoot our birds on the ground too and which i thought was a funny comment and i kind of laughed about it because i've heard i've heard people use that analogy before that that people may not feel that it's sporting to shoot uh, an animal that's that's bedded um just like shooting a quail on the ground it's more sporting to shoot the quail when they're flushed um which is interesting but you know uh Anytime we can take a successful, clean, ethical shot on an animal rather than trying to take it while it's walking or moving, <coughs> and typically with blacktail, they're, they're a very keen Where you animal. can have a lot more error and problems go wrong. Yeah, and so um, anyway, I just, it was just an interesting uh, observation in, in, the, in the gentleman's comment that he made about, about and his feeling about shooting bedded animals that uh, he doesn't feel it's ethical, I guess. But um, I'll shoot a deer in its bed any day of the week. And so I, I, I feel like it, as long as we kill it mm-hmm. ethically in, as, in, in the idea of ethics being uh, humanely. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully a one-shot kill, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the vitals where it just falls over and dies. It's great. It's done instantaneously. It's not a, there's no suffering. That's the best. You know, obviously yeah. it's hunting. So things happen at times that people don't want. The shots don't go where we want them to go. But um, we learn from those mistakes and hopefully practice and become better sportsmen right. from that. Um, but yeah, back to the, the management deer. Yeah, so there's, it, it's tough. We just try to take the ones that aren't, that look like they don't have any potential, especially when we find the older bucks. So if, if we'd like to, you know, shoot an older buck that has no potential versus a younger buck that we, that might change. Sometimes you see a yeah. young buck and think, oh, he's never going to become anything. And then the next year he's got. He's beautiful. He's, yeah. <laughs> unique. We took a buck yesterday that had some ears that were just completely destroyed on him. And last year we saw the buck. And uh, we made the judgment on that buck, not as a management, but we didn't think the buck was going to be anything any better than what he was, and uh, and we were completely wrong. Anyway, and, and we really? we have photos of him last year, and he looked old, and his uh, he just had a weak frame to him, and uh, there's no doubt that it's the same deer based on how his his ears are notched mm-hmm. um, from either getting attacked. It almost looks like he, he had gotten his ears tore up from a lion or something. When oh, he was really? They're they're really thrashed for. Uh, a, blo- a local deer you don't see him tore up like this and then this year he's uh he was 22 and a half inches wide and last year we're guessing he was like 18 to 19 but he just looked like kind of a junk deer last year yeah like something like oh well just let's shoot him he, there's no reason to leave him around and then, yeah uh, we attempted to hunt him and then uh gave you the slip well the the hunter uh nicked him in the top of the neck oh really yeah, so it was kind of interesting, and uh, you could see the scar still on him. So we never saw him after the guy next to that one. Maybe, maybe he died. Maybe it didn't look like a fatal injury. You know, yeah. it just looked like the buck kind of dipped, and you see when the buck ran away, just had a little scar across the top of his neck, where the guy knocked a little meat off of him. But then this year, we always say just shot him yesterday. It's the first time I've seen him since last year. Uh huh. It was kind of interesting. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So sometimes you never know. Sometimes you make. Uh, but it's all a learning process. We just do the best we can with trying to choose those yeah, for the sure. trophies. But then our trophy hunts, we do our trophy hunts as a five-day hunt, and we do that for 6,000. Um, generally, we're, we're 
we're shooting like this year we had great on all the trophy hunt trophy bucks we did this year we shot what we consider big black tail deer um but uh i used to try to do it as a two or three day hunt for a trophy hunt it was just too difficult to not enough time no i had to look through all the deer to try to find that one buck that's a trophy was, that's gonna I mean, be sometimes you get lucky in the first day or first two days but um, with a five-day hunt it's just a lot more realistic yeah to successfully harvest a trophy black tail well, a little bit more wiggle room too to just kind of oh exactly not feel you don't feel so rushed a lot of yeah. guys you know by day you know by the by the first by the you know figure they have that evening to hunt by the next morning that's halfway through their hunt yeah now they're feeling pressured the guide's feeling pressured like he has to have the guy yeah shoot a lesser buck that way you have at least till the third day before you feel pressure yeah and so yeah it's exactly so now with a on a but that's that's like that's a lot man that that's a lot to to be able to have you know up until halfway through day three before like i know for me if i'm going somewhere opening day is saturday i don't feel pressure until wednesday yeah halfway through my hunt and that's for me when I'll start personally pounding on <laughs> my own pressure. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure that's similar. Yeah. Yes, for we a lot changed of that. It's, I think that's, and I would attribute that to a lot of the success of the bigger deer we shot this year, uh, is to the lengthening those hunts, which seems funny, but it's uh, it's given us more time to shop. Yeah. And a better opportunity to find those those better bucks. Right. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Right on. What uh. What else you guys got going on? Um, I think, you know, probably the, with the, with, you know, the outfitting, the tax and the meat cutting, and then our Mexico hunts, um, that pretty much, you know, I think fills our plate for the year. Yeah. Um, do you guys do any desert sheep hunts down there in Mexico or do you not? Um, you know, if, if, with those high fence hunts, yeah. um, we do those if we have hunters that want to do them. And what's we, that cost? Uh, usually it's 20000 20 Yeah. So it's like, say, about a third of the cost of what a free range hunt is yeah. down there. I would love to be able to uh, find some... Because uh, like Tiburon Island's like, what, 60 or 70 mm-hmm. or something like that? I think about that. And same yeah. with Carmen Island, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to get more property down there. And it's funny with our business, we're always... I'm, I'm constantly looking to... Uh, and what are those rams taping out to? Uh, in the mid 180s. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a big desert sheep. They're really big. Yeah, so there's some really great rams, and that's one of the one of the draws of that too is that they are big sheep. You know, yeah, even though it might not be the the uh, the high mountain hunt that that people are wanting, but it's a high quality animal yeah. and representative species. You know, yeah. maybe putting their trophy or more like you say for a lot of guys that do it. I think are older and may not be in the fitness level as yeah. they used to be to get around. They might only be able Spending to Spending that time. To hunt from a vehicle, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Totally. And it's going to happen to all of us. A, sh- <laughs> a, sheep, dude, a sheep hunt's not a joke. A desert sheep hunt's not, like, that's, they're difficult. Yeah, it's rugged. Yeah. yeah. It's a tough hunt. Yeah, and yeah. I, I get spoiled uh, doing our private land hunts here, and I look at that stuff, like, when you guys do those desert sheep hunts this year, I'm like, man, you know, like, we get out of bed in the morning, fire the truck up and go park on the hill yeah start looking for game you know yeah we uh then we we get out and hike after we find the game yeah we don't start hiking for three days and then try finding game yeah i mean the whites was uh living at twelve and a half thousand feet is something i've never done before especially not for 14 days yeah um you know consecutively we came off the mountain for a late sunday night and a Monday and we're back up at 
you know, corral camp elevation, which is like 9,000 feet. Well, it's hard to prepare for that. It's hard to prepare yeah. for that kind of elevation. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I'm, uh, I'm going on a archery mule deer hunt in South Dakota. Um, South Dakota's got some great bucks. Yeah, leaving man. on Sunday. They're, they're not a lot of, uh, not a lot of giant deer, but, yeah. uh, but there's some nice looking deer. Yeah. And what I, and, uh, and it's so funny. I, even though I hunt for a living, uh, the hardest thing I, the hardest thing for me to do is to prepare for a hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I learned it the hard way on some other hunts I've gone on. And, uh, and anymore, uh, like a lot of our clients, I don't have the time to go scout areas or to, to do a lot of that homework. I don't have the time to take off two weeks and go uh, scout an area and then hunt that on a general season tag. So I'm more than happy to pay. I go on a lot of, I say a lot, I go on as many guided hunts as I can afford to and for time and money to go on uh, each year. But um, each time I go, like even right now, today I was uh, preparing to go on that hunt. And, uh, and I see this with a lot of our clients too. And even myself, like I find myself getting right down to the wire, um, trying to prepare my equipment, um, myself as far as you know, shooting and practicing to get to a point and my gear um, to go on a hunt. I think it's really important for you know, clients going on or you know, people going on any hunt with an outfit or by themselves to prepare and to practice like you said even though sheep hunts to go to that elevation to be physically fit and i wouldn't call myself physically fit right now (laughs) but mentally (laughs) fit. yeah mentally you gotta be mentally fit more than you gotta be ready for the challenge yeah exactly but then even your equipment too like i'm finding as i'm getting ready for this hunt that i'm going on um just getting my equipment ready i just uh i should take more time and i see that with a lot of our customers that come in the door they get here and uh and they haven't practiced enough and they haven't uh, done enough and a lot of times you can see that um, through their hunt so if they're the guy that gets their pig on the last morning usually it's because he didn't practice you yeah. know usually it's because he wasn't familiar enough with his firearm or hadn't uh, prepared himself enough for the hunt and same thing with the fitness level too our hunts aren't extremely physically demanding um, when I tell people there's they're as physically demanding as you want them to be <laughs> and uh, if you don't want them to be physically demanding they don't have to they be. don't have to be we can drive around or we can put you at a water hole um, we have uh, we manage a lot of water on the property for game and so it, it for people that are not mobile you know or don't have the ability to you can create opportunity yeah, if you need to set them there on a water hole that's been cameraed a lot and we know yeah. okay we know animals are coming in there's a deer coming in there's pigs coming in at eight o'clock well i'd imagine o'clock. for deer in this area they're probably relatively habitual yeah you know they're yeah. not migratory they're not going crazy distances not at all. Or yeah they stay like in that. the same area and you could watch that same buck usually if it doesn't get eaten by a mountain lion you can, <laughs> you yeah. can watch him for a couple of years but but yeah it's funny that um, just being prepared for like you said, for those, you brought that sheep hunting up, makes me think of that, being prepared for the hunts and like myself being prepared for uh, for this other hunt. I just, I, <laughs> every time I do it, I'm like, oh, why didn't I start working on it months ago? Yeah. <laughs> because I get so And busy. here you are, roll reverse. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's my business. Yeah, it's so funny. I would much rather be the guide than be the hunter. Yeah. Because there's, uh, once the, the only pressure on the guide is to find the game. Once the, once the game is found and you made the stock, all the pressure is on the hunter and everybody's looking at you and i've uh <laughs> and i think i was on a uh, i went fishing in down in baja my wife and i and i was on the boat and i i did something uh dumb and the uh and the reel started to backlash and the the deckhand comes over and he's yelling at me in spanish and he uh, he grabs a reel out of my hand like i'm a child and he reels it in and my wife looks at me and she says uh, see now you know how it feels. 
<laughs> when when you don't do this every day, yeah, and you make a mistake, and I said yes, it's it's humbling, you know. Good for your wife. Yeah, because I hear I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, and I'm out there, I'm a complete just yeah. jack out there, just being a, a dingling, right? Uh, and just not and just doing something, just not thinking, just it's, it's not second nature to me to go yeah. fishing. I love fishing, but I'm you know I realistically I might fish four days a year. You so, know, so do you spear fish? Uh, I don't because I, I don't I don't have a lot of. So experience. your wife just shows you up when it comes to the ocean. <laughs> I, and I would love to. I'd love to do it if, uh, if Justin Lee is listening. I have to get with Justin next time I'm in the Big Island and yeah. have him train me. But I don't have a lot of experience underwater. I have yeah. a lot of experience above water. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So it's a little tough for me that and I it's not, I'm not afraid of sharks. Uh, it's not that I don't like swimming. It's uh, it's it's the lack of oxygen yeah. <laughs> that that, uh, that gets to claustrophobia, me, man. Yeah. So I mean. Imagine you're from up on the coast. Do you spearfish then? Um, I I don't. I used to okay. spearfish and free dive. Yeah. More growing up. Um, yeah. All the way up until maybe in my early twenties, and I just kind of got to a point where I solely started focusing on sturgeon fishing and deer hunting. Yeah. And uh, abalone diving just kind of took a back burner and and. Uh, you know, and, and it kind of went that way for my entire family. Like it was, it used to be growing up, it was a family affair. Yeah. You know, we would all go diving, the entire family, oh, really? grandparents, wow. uncles, <laughs> yeah. you know, it'd be like 16 of us, no you kidding. know, and we'd be running Zodiacs and there'd be Jeez. divers and fishing. And that was back. My grandfather would carry a, uh, uh, Rubbermaid 55 gallon trash can on the Zodiac and he'd jig for lings and rockfish and everybody else would be diving and by the time everybody's done diving and I think back then the limit was seven abalone yeah. so five divers come back with seven abalone each and my grandfather has a 55 gallon trash can full, full of, of rockfish ro yeah. full of rockfish yeah. and then you know this is a long time ago because my yeah. grandfather was still alive and me and my brother would be fishing the creeks for yeah. smaller trout and whatnot so You'd come back to camp and it'd just be picnic tables of people slicing abalone and, you know, the whole thing. But well, that's, uh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was great, you yeah. know, but, you know, my grandfather passed and, yeah. you know, tradition slowly stopped Changes, and yeah. focused more into hunting and in the outdoors instead of diving. And diving's expensive when you have a bunch of kids and, yeah. you know, wetsuits and, yeah, it's and, and it's funny. My wife said when, like, say when we used to when when I worked on Santa Rosa Island and when I lived out there, my wife and I would live out there as a caretaker through the summer. So we live out there for like three months. Oh, she loved it. If she was diving, well, she wasn't diving then, and oh, that's what no. she said. Now she wished, and but that, back then we didn't have any money. You know, yeah. we were completely broke. Yeah. We didn't have two nickels rubbed together, and so she's like, I wish I would have just like budgeted for it, got some money and bought a decent wetsuit because obviously the water in California is cold and it's nice to have like, yeah. I don't know, like a three mil or seven mil wetsuit, you know? Yeah. And so, um, she wishes she would have done it because, and not, and it's real, it can be as, as a lot of guys know that dive the, the outer islands of the channel islands or like people that fish the outer islands. It can be really choppy, rough water a lot of times, but yeah. then again, a lot of times it can be really nice. So, um, you get a lot of really great visibility days out there as well. So, um, yeah, it's too bad because with the lobster possibilities and crab and lobster is fun, man. All the stuff that's I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and that's uh, yeah. So I maybe you know hopefully if I practice I'll be able to hold my breath long enough to kill a fish. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm going to be getting a wetsuit coming up here in 
the next couple months and like all new. Yeah. You know, I have an old Farmer John wetsuit. I think the last time I dove in it, I was 24. <laughs> and that's 10 years ago. God, that's 10 years ago now. So I'm getting a new wetsuit this season. I'm getting a new spear gun this season. I'm getting new fins and, uh, and a mask and a snorkel. Set up. Now you met with Ben today with Canna. Uh, those guys are into spear fishing too. Do some diving, don't they? I don't know. We didn't talk. We okay, talked I, about. I, we talked I've about big game hunting. Did. Now, um, uh, I, I know uh, Joel Wilson. Uh huh. Better than Ben. I've met Ben in passing real quick. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I know that those guys like to spear fish and stuff. And it's funny in San Luis Obispo. There's not a lot of. At least my wife is finding out. She keeps trying to find somebody to dive with. I told her to to look those guys up. <laughs> Try to find like a diving buddy because it's so tough. Monterey has a lot of divers in it, and there's a lot of great diving yeah. in Monterey. But down here, uh, out of San Luis Obispo and uh, Morro Bay and stuff, there's just not as many yeah. as there are down, like say in Ventura, Santa Barbara, or in Monterey. You know, yeah. and then further north, and the obviously up where you're from, there's you know, I say everybody's like a way of life up there. Obviously, oh yeah, so. yeah. I just did a podcast with Dan Slara, um, and he is a phenomenal free diver, and he teaches free diving courses. Really? And, the whole podcast is about free diving, yeah. you know, so it'll be a, it'll be a really good one. It, it hasn't, it's not coming out for like another month and a half, but okay. yeah, it's, it's diving is something that I really want to get back into. Yeah. Um, not only to prolong my season, but I've had guys that have been trying to get me on dive boats for the last six years. <laughs> you know, I've been taking them deer hunting and yeah. then they've been like, come down and I'll take you diving. And I haven't gone out and done it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my uncle was also an, a phenomenal diver and, you know, a pillar of Western diving and building the community. So I just really feel like getting into the ocean and underwater is calling to me. And, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm just, I don't know, I'm doing whatever I think right now. You yeah. Know? So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. It looks like, I say, if I can just get past that fear of oxygen. <laughs> right? It'd be awesome. You yeah. can, man. Get an oxygen tank. No, I don't know. I I've, never, I've never scuba dove, so I've only done free diving. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, how can people look up Oakstone? Oh, pretty easy to find us. Uh, Oakstoneoutfitters.com is our website. Um, also, we have a, um, I'd say, a pretty active social media, um, Instagram, Facebook Yeah, you guys pages. are always posting good blacktails getting we, yeah I, I try to yeah yeah <laughs> we yeah, try, try to stay as active as we can with all that uh, but yeah pretty easy to, to find us online um but we uh, and we try to have a pretty strong uh response rate as far as messaging and yeah. and uh and emails and stuff like that go it gets tough sometimes we get into a, a busy week or a busy couple weeks and then things will kind of fall behind but usually we get we can uh like say with the 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 technology of a smartphone is pretty easy to stay connected anymore, especially when we're in the field hunting. So right. it's not too bad, but yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I mean, I appreciate you being willing for me to come out and speak with you a little bit and yeah. kind of get a better understanding. You show me around some monster Mexico bucks to monster elk to, <laughs> I mean, you have everything hanging in the rafters is just, that was an experience in itself. Yeah, I think it's funny. We've uh, it's uh, our our business is uh, it, it's grown a lot, and it's uh, and I'd say like with a lot of businesses that grow, we we experience growing pains and just keeping up with um, with growing with it. But I I think when we're uh, 
one of the larger outfitters in the state of California and one of the larger tax review studios in the state of California. Um, that being said, there's some there's uh, some really great tax reviews in the state, some great outfitters in the state mm -hmm. that do just as much or more stuff than we do. But I'm just fortunate that we've been able to, like you say, carve out a little existence here on the coast that yeah. uh, we can raise our family with. And, and not uh, a lot of people have the opportunity to be able to do it. No, exactly. And then uh, happy to be able to give uh, to give our full-time guys an ability to uh, to hunt year-round and to do something they love and enjoy. Yeah. And then uh, hopefully keep it going and keep right. people happy and keep being successful. And Right. Yeah. Right on. Well, my concluding thought would be, you know, I'm going to thank show sponsors, West Coast Archery, Petaluma, uh, West Coast Archery Shop. That is my pro shop. That is a premier archery shop that I go to for all of my archery needs. Go stop by, check it out. You can get 10% off your arrows if you mention the podcast. And Deadeye Outfitters. Deadeye Outfitters is a uh, apparel. Everybody, it's it's funny. Everybody always thinks, you say Deadeye Outfitters, okay. and you're like, oh, this is an outfitter, right? Well, everyone thinks Oakstone Outfitters that we make apparel. Oh, really? So it's <laughs> yeah. the reverse. Yeah, so, we, we get a lot of the apparel questions. Yeah, D Deadeye Outfitters, my hat. You yeah. know, they make... Awesome, awesome gear, graphic yeah. hats, t-shirts, you know, sheep, deer, elk, you know, they're, they're making waterfowl stuff, like yeah. all different kinds of stuff. They make great clothing. And where are they based out of? They're based out of Reno. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. They're based out of Reno. A couple of them are local boys from Bishop, California. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know where Nikolai is from originally. I yeah. should find that out. I'm going to find out today on my way home. I'm going to call him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, do you have any concluding thoughts before we wrap it up? Or No, you know, I, I appreciate you coming by and talk with us. Uh, more than happy to answer any questions people have about hunting A-Zone. And even if they're not looking to come hunting with us, uh, there's a lot of great uh, public land opportunities in the A-Zone area and around our area. And I'm more than happy to share any knowledge of that with them or yeah. uh, at least just help them. Because I know a lot of it... Um, if uh, if they're not in a in financial means to you know to yeah, afford a, that too. A, a, a private hunt, which I understand for some people it's not affordable, um, then you know there are if people are willing to work hard, um, there's some really great uh, great spots around that are good public land too. So and we're always more than happy to help people with that or with. Uh, teaching them or telling them even uh, questions they have on taxidermy or if they want to do it themselves How or cool. um, you know a lot of taxidermy stuff even just uh, simple things like hide tanning and European mounts uh, things that uh, if people are willing to do get their hands dirty um, pretty affordable ways to preserve their trophy they don't have to be a skilled taxidermist yeah. in order to do it you know so um, obviously there's tons of YouTube content out there for people to do that with but I'm we get calls weekly about people wanting to do stuff themselves and we're always more than happy to field any questions um we're not you know secretive about <laughs> anything yeah. that we do um just happy that people are actually preserving uh preserving the trophies that they get and enjoying you know that part of the animal because obviously right. the meat's good the meat's great but keeping the hides and the horns and the tail feathers and the beards and any other part <laughs> of the animal is such a huge part of it uh, just to try to remember the hunt. So any of that stuff, we're more than happy to answer any questions on. So, Right on. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops 
from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.